0: it's fun to see all the the little kids run out of here it's good to have the uh the davidsons with us today welcome thank you for joining us god bless you on your many uh travels and tribulations that you'll be going through as you move I think it would be we would be remiss if we didn't play AJ's Wild World of Wacky while you were here. So why don't you come up and let's uh I'm just kidding. That was that was probably my favorite game in Mighty Kids is AJ's Wild World. Do You remember that? <laughs> you yeah, know, don't remember that. there were no rules. That was the fun part. There were no rules. Um I was I was at a place where There was so much going on that that one morning I woke up, and I had no idea what to do in Mighty Kids. And so I said, we're just going to play A.J.'s Wild World. We had other stuff planned, but we were going to play A.J.'s Wild World Wacky. And I made it up on the spot, and I said, A.J., come up here. And I said, just do something. And and it's kind of like um, someone says, or follow the leader. Uh, A.J. would just come up here, and he would do something. And everybody had to do it. And then the person that A.J. felt did the best um, following of him, he would pick that person, that person would come up, and it would just kind of go on like that. So it was really an exercise to get them moving, to get their blood flowing, to kind of get them engaged, uh, get some energy out, that sort of thing. So it it was very uh, impactful, and it worked because it, it did all the things that it was supposed to do, and I was very proud of that game. I want to thank A.J. for helping me invent that. Um, I also want to thank, while we're here thanking people, I want to thank Scott. He has been working tirelessly to get our live stream working again. It, they, the, the people that we work through to get it live and on the internet uh, decided to change the way that they do the infrastructure. And you don't need to know all the boring stuff. The point is it wasn't working. So if you could go to our website and, and try to connect and it just would not work. So he's been working these past few weeks to get it back up and running, working with their support, talking to a bunch of people, and, and just not making a whole lot of headway. And today he, he was finally able to fix some of it. It's, it's interesting because it works sometimes, worked during the week when we were doing radio, did not work on Sundays for whatever reason. It worked Sunday morning for Sunday school, but didn't work for, for the service. So again, he's been working really hard to get that up and running. He, he thinks he got a solution. There's probably more work to do, but, but the point is, I just wanted to thank Scott because he's been working really hard to get that done. So thank you, Scott. Um, and then finally, I, I have to say this because I, I wrote it down. Uh, you were talking a minute ago about Jesus going to hell and then how he got the keys of that kingdom uh, to show his dominion. And so all I was, because AJ's here, all I was thinking about was Navy SEALs and him going into hell, and this montage of things that Jesus did to, uh, to get those keys. So anyway, that's how my brain works. All right. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, and if you don't have your Bible, there's one in front of you. And if you don't want to grab your Bible, there is a sheet that has the Scripture on there for you. So we make it really easy here at this church for you to read with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. All you teachers in here, you feel like a third, don't you? Sometimes you're not even first, you're third. <clears throat> I we have been talking about the fivefold ministry these past couple of months. We we've, we've brought it back. We've we started that a long time ago as part of the foundational message of this church. And um, most recently, Pastor has felt strongly that we needed to... We, we've always activated it and we always had Saturdays and stuff, but he wanted to bring it back and and resurge the things that God was doing in the fivefold or through the fivefold in this church. And so I was, as I was praying about what I needed to speak on today... I just kept feeling this, this idea that the fivefold is something that I definitely wanted to talk about. When you think about the church, the building itself is a place where you go to to worship, to fellowship, to come together, um, to to give obeisance to to God. So we think about church in in our limited capacities as this building and what we're going to do inside of it. Uh, it's interesting because there's many people in our network that don't have a, a church building, but they op- absolutely have a church, whether they're a prayer group or they, they meet at a, a hotel or a conference center. Uh, sometimes they meet at, at people's, different people's houses. Sometimes it's their own house every single week. So we know, we know that there are churches that are part of our network that are out there that, that don't necessarily meet in a building like this. We all know this. We've, we've seen it before. We all recognize that. But as I'm looking here in, um, in the Word, in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 12, and then in also in Ephesians chapter 4, we see that God is moving in the fivefold ministry for a very specific purpose. Let's look at the next one, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers—and now you're fourth— I'm sorry fifth for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of christ i i love that i think it's very clear what the purpose of the fivefold is and it is for these three things the perfecting of the saints the work of the ministry the edifying of the body of christ and when i read that i think about us i think about those that work alongside us i think about all the things that god is doing within this network within our church And how he's moving in the fivefold or through the fivefold in us. But I believe that there is something that takes this even further in our lives because when you think about it, you are the church, you are the body of Christ. And as such, your life is the ministry of the saints. So every day, I submit to you, we should be activating in the fivefold. Every single day, not just when we come together on Sundays or on Saturdays, not just when we call a fivefold together. We should be doing this every single day. And so today, I want to walk you through what I believe that means. I'm going to obviously give you some scriptures for us to read. We're going to be looking at how do you incorporate the fivefold in your daily life. I think we all want to do that, we've all tried to do that. So let me give you some help in understanding what that really means for you. We're going to start with, obviously, uh, the apostolic. I, I think of the apostolic as the tip of the spear. And, and if you're going to put a, a subtitle to it, the apostolic is the way that um, communication... I'm sorry, that, that the apostolic is communication of the purpose of God. The communication of the purpose of of god when we talk about the tip of the spear that that pushing forth into what god wants to do the apostolic comes from two separate words so before i get to those you can see on your sheet you have it for reference later it is an ambassador of the gospel a commissioner of christ an apostle a messenger or he that is sent do you feel sent do you feel called to be sent I believe that's a big part of what this church is, is, is that message that's coming from the throne. But it comes from two words, and I found these two words to be very interesting. And the first one is apo, not to be confused with alpo, that's dog food. This is apo. Apo literally means a separation of a part from the whole. So when you think about a puzzle, right? You've got, everybody's used, done a puzzle before, right? You've got a puzzle, you take one of those pieces out and you move it somewhere else. That that little piece becomes the apostolic. Stello means to set, place, set in order, or to arrange. So when you really think about what is the apostolic, it is someone or something that has been pulled out from the whole, separated, and placed in a very specific place. We talk about Terio here in this church. Uh, In the Saints Network, we talk about our established place, the apostolic is somebody, or the apostle is somebody who has been taken from the whole, separated, and put into a different place. There is a consecration that comes from the apostolic. We think about apostles being very, very specific people. And, and I think part of the part of the struggle with the fivefold ministry is that uh, specifically in the word, it, it says the words are all apostles, are all teachers, do all speak in tongues. And, and I think people have interpreted that as you may not be an apostle. You may not be a prophet. You may not be able to speak in tongues. And I don't believe that's what it's saying. I don't believe that's what it means. I truly believe that there is an office of the apostle. There is an appointment in this house of an apostle. We all know who that is, pastor. He is our apostle. His goal, his priority is to be the tip of that spear, to listen to the voice of God, and to move this congregation and the saints network forward into an established place. That's his role as the apostle of this church. But it does not mean that you as an individual cannot function in an apostolic manner. You see that, right? You are, can be an apostle, not the apostle of this church necessarily, but an apostle nonetheless, especially in your own life. And that's really what the brunt of this message is all about. You should be an apostle inside of your own life, and you should be functioning in a fivefold manner in order for you to support the apostolic mission that God has for you Every single day. So when we think about the apostolic, the apostolic is the why. What is your purpose? And then when you think about the rest of the fivefold, it's the how. Here is how I'm going to accomplish that purpose. So we're going to get to all those here in a minute. But I think about the early church and how it was plagued with religion. Plagued, I say, with religion, where where people had a, a notion of who God was who he was not, what kind of box they could put him in and say, this is God and, and, and no more. So much so that at one point in time, they believed that um, you could harm somebody else if they harmed you. Back in the day, before God set his commandments, there was this concept of um, recompense, of vengeance. And so if you had a tribe and, and someone in that tribe hurt somebody else, you wouldn't just hurt that somebody, you would hurt that somebody and their family. And if that family got hurt, that, the, the neighbors around them would not just kill the family of the person who hurt that family, but they would also hit the, the village or the tribe. And then be, things began to escalate. And so, so God in his infinite wisdom said, look, from now on, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If somebody pokes your eye out, the, the most that you can do is poke their eye out. Let me be very clear about what God is saying there in that scripture. It's not that you should poke their eye out. It was the most that you could do is what God was trying to say. He was putting some boundaries around what these people could and could not do because he understood that like little children, they just didn't understand. They weren't able to move forward unless they had some guardrails for them to to navigate through. So God is saying, look, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's the most that you can do. And so when Jesus comes to show them a new way, what does he do? He says, look, I tell you, not an eye for an eye, but turn the other cheek. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn your other one. Let him slap the other one as well. This was revolutionary to those back then. Because they, they were saying, look, you're going anti-God. And, and what Jesus said was, no, it's not anti-God, I'm showing you a new and better way because that's what God wanted to do is show them a new and better way. He was expanding the scope of what it really truly means to, to forgive, to be a part of this community. But they hated it and they hated Jesus for it. Jesus was trying to show them this new and better way and they were completely against it. So much so that he says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another he expanded the concept from hurt one another to love one another forgive one another if someone has aught against you forgive them go ask for forgiveness go work through it before you come and do your prayers that's this was again revolutionary and and the people hated him for it the specifically the religious mindset they hated him for changing the things that they had put inside this little box and trying to go outside that scope so for centuries the church has been in this this idea of religiosity we experienced that you remember several years ago we experienced that when we were starting to move forward in in pneumaticos, when we were starting to move forward with ministering with angels and diverse tongues and all the things that God was showing us in his word, we were battled against. We were shown a new and better way. And the church, the religious church came against us so much so that we had to distance ourselves. We had to separate from that church. Many, I don't know if you know this, many others went through the same thing and they also separated from the assemblies at the time there was this huge upheaval we see that today as well a lot of people are are distancing themselves from church because they just don't believe anymore they don't think that the church has it all together i am proud to say that this church is not religious in that sense we are spiritual what binds us together however we'll talk more about this here in a minute but what binds us together is the word of god that is our foundation and that foundation is secure, and you can't remove that. Once you remove that, then you've got nothing. Again, we're going to talk that more, about that more in here in a minute. But what we see here is that the church was battling itself to understand what the new concepts were, what, what new things God was doing. We see that so much so, and there's an example in Galatians chapter 2. But when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. This is Paul talking. He wrote Galatians. So Paul is saying, When Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. There was this huge battle within the church where Peter, who was, was very close to Jesus, moved forward in his relationship and was ministering to the Gentiles. He was working with people outside of the religious community, outside of the Jewish community. So as he's ministering to these people, um, all of a sudden, James and his cohorts come over, and, and they have now become, again, super religious. They find their tradition, they find their box, and they sit in it. And, and James comes with his cohorts, and he's saying, Look, this, this is wrong. You are eating and talking and and drinking with people who are uncircumcised. And, And that's not good. They need to change their ways. And Peter began to distance himself from that because of James. And so Paul, who again did not, was not a disciple, did not know Jesus in that way, opposed him. And he said, Peter, you can't be acting this way. And, and the Bible goes on to say in Galatians that, look, if they're going to get circumcised, why not just cut everything off? Why not just go all the way, 100%? He said, that's not how this works. This is about faith. This is about Jesus coming for all people, not just this small community. And, and it's not about them changing necessarily, but about them believing through belief will come the faith, right? Will come the change that they need to have. So they had this battle this this religiosity has happened so for so very long that it began to i began to see this concept in our daily lives we get to a place where we are comfortable in our spirituality and we we stop moving forward we get to a place where we we could pray for 10 minutes we can pray, pray for 30 minutes we can pray for an hour now i can pray and read my bible for 2 hours and that's great But man, I pray and read my Bible for two hours. I have achieved it. I am there. I am where I need to be. And and I'm here to tell you that's not true. And even Paul said, not that I have yet attained it, but I press on towards that prize. Well, what prize is there of knowing God so completely that, that you are just functioning in that fivefold every single day? Again, I submit to you today that is the purpose of the fivefold. That is why we are here this morning, to understand that. So when you talk about or you think about the apostolic, it is about moving forward beyond where you are right now. Do not let yourself get comfortable with where you are. Do not let the enemy tell you you have, you have done it. You are there. You're good enough. You are great. You can go up to people and you can heal them. That's awesome. So stop there. You're done. There's more that God wants to do in your life. There's so much more. And again, that is the purpose, that's the why. Let me talk to you about how. Before I do, let me tell you this story. So many of you know that I was let go from um, Omnitrack several, almost a year ago. Actually, it was a year ago. Let go from Omnitrack's about a year ago. They had massive layoffs. Since then, the company is just, it's down in the dumps. They're They're trying to sell it. They're trying to do all these things, unimportant. Point is, so many people have left that um, by the time I looked back into what had happened, I was grateful to God for sparing me having to go through what those other people that did not get fired had to go through. I got severance. I got to get, I got to spend time with my family. I was able to, because of the severance, just kind of lay low for a while. Now, I'll, I'll admit at the time, I wasn't thinking that way. I was thinking, man, I just got laid off. Lord, what's going on here? And, and it was it was a horrible feeling to go through life thinking that you are expendable, that you're not important, um, that, that you have no value. And that's where my mind went immediately when I got laid off. But again, looking back, I see that I was spared from having to deal with all the things that those other people dealt with. And so I thank God. It's a, it's a great testimony. I eventually found another job. I did some consulting work in between, found another job and um, I worked there for about six months. And I told my boss at the time, what you're asking me to do, I've done before, and and I was actually moving towards more of a a director position because of it. Because I'm, I'm basically dictating how training and documentation works at the company. There's nobody telling me what to do, I'm telling them what to do. How is that not a director level position? That was my argument. And so I kept telling my boss this, and they moved me in that one role. I moved, I think, between three different managers in the span of a week um, because they don't know what they're doing. There's a startup. So, so they finally put me in a place. The that manager that I finally got, I told her, you know, here's, here's my position, here's what I want to do. And all that to say, eventually I was let go because she didn't know what to do with me. This happened um, in June. And I didn't know what to do because, again, here I am. Let go, I'm I'm out of a job. About a month ago, let go, out of a job, and and I was frustrated. And I thought, should I have kept my mouth shut? Should I have just coasted in in whatever position I was in and and allowed myself to get that paycheck and be unfulfilled and, and feel like I'm not accomplishing anything or doing anything? And and I think the answer is no. No. I believe that God has something great in store for me. Something where I do feel fulfilled at my job, at my work, but able to do all the things that I do here. I believe that God has a place where I'm making enough money to take care of my family and continue to do the things that we've, that we've always done. I, I truly believe that God has a plan and a purpose. So my, my point in saying all that is this. I could have kept my mouth shut and just coasted. But I truly believe that's not what God wants for any of us. Do you? Do you really think that God wants us just to, to reach a certain level and then peek there and stop? I, I don't believe that for one minute. I think He wants more and more and more to work with us, to imbue us, to strengthen us, to get us to that next level. And, and I know a lot of times it's, it's it's a struggle. It's frustrating. You don't know. What's gonna happen next? There's a there's a bit of fear. If I if I had kept my mouth shut, I, there would have been no fear. I could have just stayed there. But but I knew that God wanted more for me, more. And so I was pushing for that more. Pushed so much so that I got let go, but I was pushing for that more. And there's a fear associated with that, I believe. People don't want to push because they don't want to be let go. They don't want to hit that barrier, hit that wall. Understand that is the apostolic. Do you understand? That is the apostolic. And we as a church have experienced that where we are pushing, we're pushing, we're pushing the envelope. And when we push that envelope, what happens to our congregation? It begins to dwindle. You don't think that pastor has fear that the more he pushes, the more people will go away. Absolutely. But, but what I see here. Uh, Across the aisles, out there in our network, and the people that that, um, pray with us, the people that work with us are solid, grounded people who want to push that envelope, who have that apostolic nature within them, and and we are doing amazing things. We're going into the nations. We're changing lives. We're opening up things in the spirit realm that have never been opened before in areas across the world. That is what you are doing with your intercession with the apostolic. And so I encourage you today, don't stop pushing that envelope. Well, what does that mean for you? Let me, let me say this real quick, though. So I will ask for your prayers. I have a, an interview tomorrow um, with a company, and, and it's, a, it's a great position. It's 100% work from home. I am not asking you to pray for me to get that job. Let me be very, very clear. Because if i wanted you to tell me or i wanted you to pray for me to get a job it was when i interviewed with samsung because i could have got tvs really cheap that would have been awesome so no no i would have loved that samsung anyway so don't i don't i'm not asking you to pray for me to get the job that i'm going to interview for i want you to pray for me that i will have the the peace of god for whatever he wants for me next and whether that's the job that i'm interviewing for or if it doesn't come for another couple of weeks, another couple of months, pray for my faith. Pray for my steadfastness. Pray for my um, open eyes and ears and heart and spirit to see what God is doing. Because just like that Omnitrax thing where I was like, God, what are you doing? And I can look back now and say, oh, that's what you were doing. I want that now so I don't have to worry about it or don't have to get it. In six months. That's what I'm asking for your prayers for. If I get the job, great. But more than anything, pray for those things. When we think about the fivefold ministry, the, ap- the apostle is the why, the purpose, the here's what we're doing. The prophetic is how you hear the desire of God, what he wants out of this. So if the apostolic is the why, the prophetic is part of the how, the hearing. Here's the desire of my heart. Here's how I want you to be. The word prophet comes from the Greek prophetess. It's a foreteller, an inspired speaker, one, I love this, one who, moved by the Spirit of God and hence his organ or spokesman, solemnly declares to man what he has received by inspiration. Amos 3.7 we read, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but reveal his secret unto his servants, the prophets. When you are a prophet, God reveals to you the mysteries. God reveals to you the secrets. If you do a study on prophets, if you look at the prophets in the word, it's, it's amazing how crazy those guys were. Guys and gals, there were women prophets too, but it's, it's amazing to see just how crazy those people were. There's, there's a list in the back of your sheet. If you'll turn it around real quick, Uh, you'll see Jeremiah was wearing yoke bars as he spoke to the nation. Basically, the message was, You are yoked. Yoke bars are the things that they put on uh, oxen to get them to move at the same time because each animal is different, each animal is a different size. So, when you put two oxen together, a lot of times one would either move slower or faster, one might be taller or shorter, this yoke bar, what it did was it stabilized everything. It made everything kind of even so that regardless of whether whatever speed one was moving, the other one was either pushed by that yoke or held back by that yoke so that they were moving at the same time. That's where we get the concept of do not be equally, un- do not be yoked with an unbeliever, right? You've heard that passage, do not be unequally yoked. It's basically saying if you are living a life where you are a Christian, you've got all these, these, these great things going for you in the kingdom, but you yoke yourself to someone who is falling behind, who is backslidden, who is not wanting to move forward with the things of God, guess what's going to happen? They're going to pull you back. You might be pulling them forward, but they're going to hold you back. And so the Bible says be very careful of that. Do not be unequally yoked. That's where we get this concept. And so Jeremiah was walking around with yoke bars. And he was telling the people, do not be unequally yoked. But he was physically doing this as a prophet. Hosea ended up marrying a prostitute. And he named his children. Can you imagine naming your children this? Unloved and not my people. I look at Caleb. Who looks just like AJ. It's amazing. Can you imagine Davidson's running around and saying, Unloved, come here. Unloved, come here. Can you imagine that? Not my people, I told you not to touch that. Those are some weird names. Unloved and not my people. Why did he name them that? Well, later we find that he names them unloved and not my people to show that God loves the unloved. Isn't that amazing? Would you name your child unloved just to prove a point? I don't know. But he named them unloved and not my people so I can show, the Bible says, so I can show that these this not my people are my people, that I will bring them into my family. Hosea went as far as to name his children, unloved and not my people, to prove a point. Elijah, the prophets of Baal, he, he was, man, he was, he was flamboyant when it came to his miracles. You pour more water. Guys, come on, maybe your, your God is asleep. Why don't you cut yourself and, and, and cry a little bit more loudly so that your God can hear. No, no, look, put more water, more water, more water. He was showing that God is God, but he was doing it extravagantly. Prophets are weird people. And I'm, I'm asking you today, are you weird enough? Are you doing the things that God has asked you to do prophetically? What is prophecy? Here's, here's, the, here's the thing that I think I struggle with. I don't want to say the most, but a lot with. is trust in myself. Trusting that I can hear the voice of God? I think a lot of people struggle with this. Am I really hearing the voice of God? I remember a time there was a, a young lady that came to our church while I was in college. She, she attended college with me, and, and I brought them to our church. Um, you all probably remember a lot of young ladies came to our church um, because they either knew Dan or knew me. So they were here, and one young lady, um, very beautiful voice, uh, considered herself a prophetess, and I remember her telling my sister, who at the time was starting to move away from, from the Lord, but I remember her telling my sister, God told me that you're going to be my roommate in college because she wanted her to go to Southwestern with us. But, so she told her, God told me you're going to be my roommate in college. And and I remember hearing that and thinking, that's that's unfortunate because you're pressuring this person to follow the quote-unquote, mandate of God without them feeling that call for their own life, and you're basically putting sin on them by saying, if you don't do what I just said, you're going against God. How do you know that's really what God wanted for her life? Maybe he did. Maybe he wanted her to go to Southwestern. Maybe he wanted her to be that, that young lady's roommate, but I don't think it was fair for her to say that to her in that way. Because now all the pressure of following God is on her. Now, if God tells you something, hey, I'm, I want you to be her roommate, and you ignore that, that's, that's totally different, right? But for you to say something like that, I think that, that, that really opened my eyes to be very deliberate in what I say and how I say it when it comes to the voice of God. And, and there was then a healthy but still a fear instilled in me about my voice. Because what I say behind this pulpit, what I say as a representative of Christ matters. You know that, right? It matters. We have to be very careful what we say and how we say it, what we represent ourselves as, whether it's in the physical, by speaking to other people, or on the interweb. Be very careful. I've said this before. You know it. Be very careful what you say. But, but we are still called to be prophets. And I have had to learn to balance my, again, I still think it's healthy, but my fear with my um, moving forward in what God wants to do. Because he does want you to speak. He does want you to speak. That's the whole point of prophecy. Prophecy is not supposed to be held back. You better be sure it's from God. But but he wants you to speak. So the question then becomes this. How do you know it's from God? I think that's the kicker, right? How do you know that what you're hearing is from God? And I'm going to tell you the answer next week. I'm just kidding. I'll tell you right now. It's through practice and relationship. Practice and relationship. I remember... um, a we were at a, a conference church in in switzerland or france or somewhere abroad like that and a, and a man in a wheelchair came over um, and and he was just praying in the spirit i could tell he was going through a lot um and i wanted to with all my heart go up to him and say um silver and gold have i none but what i have i give to you in the name of jesus christ rise up and walk i wanted to so bad say that. And, and it, was so, it was so impressed on me to do something like that, that I could feel my body trembling from holding myself back, but wanting to move forward. And I felt this strongly, not that I should say that, but I felt strongly that I should go and pray for him, pray for him. And so I struggled. And I, I, I will admit, I did not end up praying for him. I didn't. Because I was scared. I was scared that I was going to say something stupid like, rise up and, it's not stupid, but you know what I mean, rise up and walk, and then he's struggling in his wheelchair and he falls down. That, was my, that would have been my worst fear for something like that to happen. You can call it a lack of faith, unbelief, whatever, but that was my fear at the time. So I did not pray for him. And it's not until later that I recognized that what God wanted me to do was to pray for him. Not heal him. Pray for him. And that's what I missed out on. I wasn't supposed to go and heal him because I'm not the healer, amen? I'm not the healer. If Jesus at that point in time decided to heal him, guess what, Jesus healed him. My hands might've been on him, but it was Jesus who did the healing. What he wanted me to do was pray for him. And I missed out on that. I missed out on the ability to go up to somebody and bless them in prayer. And, And I feel bad about that to this day. Several, several years ago, and I'll remember it like it was yesterday because God wants you to move forward. And the way I'm going to, I told you, I was going to tell you the answer the way that you do that is through relationship and through practice. What you need to do is when God tells you something, you need to do it. You need to do it. You need to be in faith believing that God wants you to do something, not that something is going to happen, but that God wants you to do something. And there's a big difference between the two. Do you understand? There's a big difference. He's not asking you to go and heal people. He's not asking you to go uh, lay hands on them so that angels will appear, gold dust, or whatever all those things were. He's not asking for you to do that. He's asking you to be obedient. And that, when you start doing that, you're gonna get a sense of what's going on in your life. I have heard a couple of testimonies of people saying, I, you know, I was just obedient, and I did that, and, and maybe nothing came out of it, but maybe something did. That's when you start to gain that confidence in yourself that God is doing something in in my life and the life of those around me. That is the fivefold. When you start moving in a fivefold manner, you begin to understand that God is moving in this world apostolically through you, through the fivefold. That is the purpose of the prophet. Listen to this, Numbers chapter twelve. And he said, Hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I love that story. It's a great story. It's, it's Miriam and Aaron, and they're rising up against Moses, and they're saying, why is Moses always bossing us around? We, we hear from God just as much as he does. Why is Moses the one that's in charge? And, and they, they got together this, this group, and they said, you know, we're going we're to rise up against Moses and tell him to, to shut his face. Shut your pie hole. We're going to be in charge now. And so they go up. They, they get this posse together. They go up to Moses, and, and God speaks for Moses. And he says, y'all need to back off because with you all, I speak like I do with the prophets. I give them dreams. I give them visions. And, and that's important. We're going to talk about that here in a second. That's important. But with Moses, with him, I speak face to face, mouth to mouth. With Moses, it's different because he's my mouthpiece. And I need to understand that. So, so why are we reading this? Because understand that you may not hear the voice of God so thunderously loud and clear that you know that you know that you know that it's him. You may be getting the dreams and visions, and that's okay. He's still speaking to you. But you have to start to recognize them, and that's important. The teacher. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're great. The teacher communicates the laws of God. If the, apost- the apostolic is the why, the purpose, if, if the prophet is the-, the desire, here's what I want, then the teacher is the, here's what it is. This is the law. This is how it works. And a big part of that is integrating belief and practicing it. And it's something that the, the early church didn't necessarily know how to do. They struggled with it. They, they understood eye for an eye. They didn't understand how to love one another. <clears throat> what we look at, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. This is so important, especially now as we struggle in this nation with with all the things that we're in this world. Really, all the things that we're struggling with. Um, and and the the battle that we're having with with the the Democrats and the Republicans, with the conservatives and the liberals, there's, there's no right answer when you think of it from that perspective. There is a right answer when you think about it from this perspective. I told you earlier, our foundation is the gospel, is the Bible. That is the thing that we hold on to. And knowing that, front and back, is the only thing that's going to keep us secure in our relationship with God. Because once you remove that, you have nothing to stand on. And it is scary, scary to see the people who have left, who, who are no longer part of either the network or a, a church body or whatever you want to call it, and how they are adhering to things that are, that are extra biblical, who are outside of the Bible. Because there is no foundation there. You can do and say whatever you want, and that is extra biblical. You think about, um, you think about it this way: if you believe that the Old Testament, because Jesus came, is now moot, gone, you don't need it anymore. What you are dismissing is the foundational character of God working with humanity. You you miss out on all the history all of the admonishment, all of the work that he did to get us to where we are today. So, so I truly believe you cannot dismiss the Old Testament. Jesus said, I new covenant I give to you, but he didn't say a new covenant and let's destroy the old thing. He said, I'm going to give you a new way of thinking that supports what we've tried to tell you through the Old Testament. If you then dismiss the New Testament and say, look, these are just, they're just men Men that walked with Jesus, maybe, but flawed men who had their own problems. So we're going to dismiss most of the New Testament because they didn't culturally understand what's going on today. Have you heard that argument? That was for back then. It was a different time in a different culture. And they don't understand what we're dealing with now, and this is a totally different place and time, and so we have to think of things in a new way. If you dismiss all of that, then you lose out on the character of Jesus and the character of the Christian church. And I don't believe you should be doing that either. Then there are some that go as far as to say that um, even the words of Jesus himself were flawed because they were written down by somebody else, and it's not necessarily him saying it. Well, then you've just dismissed the entire Bible, right? So then where is your foundation on who God is and, and, and what he does? There's, there's that saying right now, love is love, right? God is unconditional love. God is love. So love is love to talk about a a specific community. How can you quote scripture and use scripture when you have already dismissed scripture? It's not logical. It's not reasonable. It doesn't make sense. You can't pick and choose what you want because it doesn't work that way. If you're gonna dismiss the Bible, then dismiss the Bible and then guess what? You can no longer call yourself a Christ follower. That's, That's my soapbox. I'm off it now. I want you to understand, you have to know scripture. I love that our pastor, and this is, this is the thing that has, that has strengthened me the most here as part of this church. I love that our pastor relies so heavily and exclusively on the word of God. Anything that we, we talk about from this pulpit, anything that, that is preached from here has its foundation in a deep study of the word of God. It's not some extra biblical work from someone else. He, he references other people, sure, but those aren't the foundation. The, everything that comes from this pulpit is from scripture. That is the foundation. And that's the only way that we're gonna be able to combat this world. We see in Luke chapter four, where Jesus, and it's not up there, but it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be. We see in Luke chapter four, where Jesus goes up to the mountaintop. He's been fasting, he's hungry, he's tired. He's tempted by the devil, and the devil keeps attacking him. You remember this story? keeps attacking him. And what does he do? He quotes Scripture. The Word of God says this. The Word of God says this. And he keeps combating the enemy with Scripture. And that's the only way that we are going to be able to combat the enemy. So, excuse me, I encourage you, as as great as pastor's books are and as, as foundational as they are rooted in the Word of God, You need to be studying the Word of God for yourself as well. Yes, read the materials. They are a great launching point into the deeper understanding of what God is doing. But if you are not studying, if you are not consuming, if you are not integrating Scripture into your life, then you're going to run into issues. That is what the teacher is all about. So here's the thing with the teacher. Talked about the prophet and how you need to be practicing your relationship, how you need to be practicing your listening, right? With the teacher, you need to be practicing your teaching. Well, what does that mean? I've always loved, or I'm sorry, I've always learned that you learn best when you teach it to somebody else. Have you heard this? You know that. You learn best when you teach it to somebody else. So if you're relying on, on in your conversations on, hey, pastor wrote a great book on, on the fivefold friend, you should go and read that. If you're relying on that conversation, Go go read this for yourself. You're doing a big disservice to yourself on what God wants to do in your life, because by you sharing it, by you understanding it, by you by you saying it out loud to somebody, you learn even more. It expands your vocabulary spiritually to be able to fight, battle the enemy and the things that the enemy is going to come across with. This is your sword. This is your defense. <clears throat> that's the teacher we're almost done the pastor communicates the provision of God this is how I'm going to provide for you today and that provision is a lot of times internal does God provide externally yes he does God I, my wife has told many a testimony of how God has provided in our family I'm so thankful for God for protecting us during this time of, of job upheaval of the ups and downs that I've been going through he has he has given me a wife that understands money and finances, and I, don't, I can do it, don't want to. She loves to do it, and so she's worrying about all the, the savings and all the things that we have to do in order to make our lives work. That's what she does, and she's awesome at it. So what God has provided for us is a big blessing, and, and we, but I still struggle. I still struggle with faith. I still struggle with, well, God, what are we going to do next, and how are we going to provide here, and what are we going to do there? I want to be able to give, but I'm, like Monica said earlier, I feel like I'm destitute, right? I don't know how to give. And God says, well, just give. Thank you, Taker. I appreciate that. Matthew chapter 9. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plentous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Guess what? You're supposed to say what? That's you. That's you. Pray that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. That's us. That is the pastor. We, we think of God as the ultimate shepherd, Jesus the ultimate shepherd. We think of our pastor as a shepherd, a pastor. But you're a pastor too. You're a pastor to somebody in your barracks In your job, in your life, at your school, wherever you are, you are a pastor to someone. Someone will be looking to you for guidance and direction, especially if you are living your life for the Lord, because they're gonna see what? The light. They're gonna see the light in this darkness, and they're gonna be like, Why do you have that? And I have all this. Well, let let me tell you why. I'm ready to give a report, I'm ready to be a witness. I'm Arturion. I'm ready to be that person because I'm a pastor. When I'm able to share my life and, and my belief with you, that's really what God wants from this office right here, the pastor. This office is different from the evangelist in that the evangelist goes and so we're going to talk about the evangelist, obviously, a little bit more deeply. But he goes and speaks, right? There's a lot of things going on with the evangelist. The pastor is a support system. It it says it in the um in the passage that we read, you can see it at the very top of the, of the other side of the sheet, helps governments' diversities of tongues. That is also super important because the pastor has to be one that is communing with God at a very, very deep spiritual level. And that's what diverse tongues does to you. We, we talk a lot about diverse tongues here at this church. And, and let me tell you why. When I first got saved, I remember right there, June 21st, I was 15 years old at the time, and I did not know God in any way, shape, or form. Grew up Catholic. I knew there was a God. I believed there was a God. My parents talked about God. We might have gone to church every once in a while, but I didn't know him. I didn't want to know him. I didn't think you could be known. So I was just living my life, and then when I got saved, I, I got saved because Whatever play they were putting on up here basically said to me, You can be as good as you want to be, but you're not going to go to heaven because good people don't go to heaven. Bad people certainly don't go to heaven. The saved go to heaven. And I was like, Well, I'm good, but I'm not going to heaven, so maybe I should get saved. And something inside of me just clicked. It understood that, hey, you're supposed to be up there, you're supposed to know God more intimately. So I got saved. I stood up. Came to the front, I prayed the sinner's prayer, I joined the youth group, I did all the things that I, that I felt that I needed to do as God was working through me in all of this. And, and, and through all of that, I, I feel like I was lucky or blessed in, in the growth that this church was going through. At the time, the the youth pastor, Dan, was doing all these amazing things with the youth group. He was he was raising us up, he was mentoring me, he was moving me forward. I got filled with the Spirit and began to speak in tongues about a year maybe a year and a half after that. And so my, my spiritual relationship um, was almost exponential because I, I got saved, I got filled with the Spirit, I got called to the ministry, and then we started going to Brownsville and pastors started writing his books and, and the pastors, the leaders here at the church were doing all these things that different than they had ever done before before. Um, and, and diverse tongues came into being. And so for me, it was boom, 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 boom. And, and I think about that progression for me and how many people don't experience Christianity that way. They're born into it, like my daughters. They, they see us go to church. They, they hear about um, Jesus being salvation. They, they got baptized very recently, right? You remember that? They got baptized, but for them, it's a very long arduous road of Christianity. And for me, it was boom, 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 boom. And so when Diver's Tongues came, I recognized that it was the next thing that I'm supposed to be going towards. And then what did we start doing? We started going into different areas and praying and discerning. You guys remember discernment and seeing all the things in the spirit? Remember dreams and visions? Remember the seven spirits? The fivefold? Think about all the things that this church has gone through and the progression that God is taking us through going into the nations now. This is a work that God is doing here in this church, and for me, it has been immediate. For some of you who have been here for a very long time, it's been this long time period of, of struggle and, and growth and moving through what God is doing. Very different from person to person. But the thing I think was the most impactful in this church was diverse tongues, because it was a personal thing that you could do to propel your spiritual life forward. And I feel like we don't do it enough. Not as a church, because obviously you, you hear Monica come up here and say, hey, we've got to do diverse tongues. We've got to do diverse tongues. You hear pastors say, we've got to do diverse tongues. But personally, how often do we tell ourselves, we've got to do some diverse tongues? I have to do Some diverse tongues. I have to push myself forward. That's the office of the pastor. There is a pastor within all of you that either shepherds somebody else or shepherds yourself, and you need to activate that part of your spirit. When we talk about prophecy, you need to prophesy. Listen to the Lord and speak it. When we talk about teacher, you need to read your Bible. You need to study that thing. You need to know that thing. When we talk about the pastor, You need to encourage yourself and push yourself forward because coming every Sunday or listening to the message every Wednesday or the radio of the week is not enough. You have to push yourself forward. The office of the pastor is for that reason. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Diverse tongues is that encouragement. Finally, we're almost done. Finally, evangelist communicates the love of God the love of God. That's, that's what I feel that the church is missing today. Not this church necessarily, but the church in general is missing this. It, the evangelist reveals Jesus through words, works, and wonders. We see, we see miracles happen. We hear testimony of things happening in this church. But, but let me tell you what true love is. Did you know the word unconditional love does not appear in scripture? Did you know this? It does not appear in that form, in Scripture. Do we, know that, do we know that God's love is unconditional? Well, yeah, of course. But but we infer that through the various things that God says about love in His Word. He's, he's doing this thing now where, he, where, and Kelly calls it the, uh, I got it, because he goes, I got it, I got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And it's super cute. We're trying to record it. Um, <clears throat> Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Do you got it now? Should I be done? I'm just kidding. He, um, the, the church is missing this concept of love. Unconditional, the words unconditional love don't appear in Scripture. We see the concept flowing through Scripture that God loves you, and he sent his only son to die for you and your sins, and that's where you can be, you know, into, into heaven. But, but I believe that the enemy, excuse me, has this day and age twisted the concept of unconditional love in that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want, and God will still love you? I truly believe God will still love you, as I will always love my children no matter what they do. No matter what, I will continue to love my children. If they are, if one of them grows up to be a psychopathic murderer, I'm not going to tell you which one. But one of them grows up to be a psychopathic murderer. Will I still love that child? Absolutely. I will visit them in prison. I will watch them get the needle or die by hanging or whatever they end up choosing. You can choose now. Did you know that? I don't know that. I just said it, but it's cool. But whatever way they choose to die will be there when they die because I will love my children forever. I will be severely disappointed that I am in the news having to explain my child's problems to the world, but I will still love them. But love and disappointment, you know, are two different emotions, and they can live together. They can. I believe that God loves us. I believe that God loves me. I believe that he loves me unconditionally. But I also feel regret and disappointment in myself when I know I have done something that I'm not supposed to do, even though I know God loves me. I don't feel like, hey, I did something bad. I have sinned, either through commission or omission. I have sinned, and you're okay with it, and you don't care, and it's perfectly fine because you love me anyway. So I will continue doing what I'm doing. That's, that is the definition of unconditional love in the world today, that regardless of what you do, God's going to love you, and so it is okay. Let me tell you, it's not okay. And, and let me prove it to you. But, you know, of course, if you don't believe in, in Scripture, then it doesn't matter. But, but let me prove it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. This is, this is about the evangelist, by the way. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. Man, isn't this true today? People having itching ears and jumping from teacher to teacher to teacher and saying, what is this guy saying over here? Oh, what is that saying over there? And they're jumping from place to place. And, and losing this foundation of scripture. And they're saying, oh, unconditional love. Oh, love is love. All of these things. What is love? What is the, the gospel? What is the message that God tells us? Well, he says it right here. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Let's look at these words. And then we're done. I promise you. Let's look at these words. Reprove, rebuke. Reprove. Say, hey, what you did is wrong, and let me show you why. I'm going to reprove to you. That's the foundation of that word. I'm going to reprove to you why what you did is bad, and then I'm going to rebuke you. Recognize individually that you have done something wrong. I rebuke you. That is wrong what you did. Move forward. I'm going to exhort you Because God still loves you. Recognize that it's wrong, but God still loves you. And there's a way out of this. If you'll just come back, come back to where God wants you. And what do you do that with? Long-suffering, patience. You love people. You don't love the sin, but you do love the sinner. And you say, look, I'm, I'm here for you. You keep messing up. God keeps forgiving. He wants you to stop. But he still forgives you and he still loves you. But you got to stop. I'm going to reprove. I'm going to rebuke. I'm going to admonish you, exhort you to come back. And I'm going to do it with patience. That's really where love comes from, is that patience. And I'm going to do it with what? Doctrine. Man, that's so important. Let me show you where in Scripture, our foundation, where in Scripture it says that this is wrong. Many people don't believe that anymore. And I think that is the downfall of our society. The Scripture is no longer, even for Christians, Scripture is no longer the foundation by which we adhere. If you do not have a foundation, then you are building your house on sand. That's, that's basically what the Bible says. You're building it on sand, and it can crumble at any time, because the newest, latest, flashiest thing can come up and destroy that thing, and you're going to have to start over over here. And I've seen that happen, and it's, it's the saddest thing to see an individual who has devoted their life here, but, but has let go of Scripture and has started moving forward into other things. God, bless them and touch them and bring them back to your right standing. We have to have a foundation or we are nothing. But, but here's the thing, last thing we're gonna say. I found this in my Bible. It, it is not Scripture, just, just so you know that. This is not Scripture, what I'm about to read at the bottom of your page. It was found in my Bible but not scripture Everybody understands what that means right It was just written by somebody It was found at the end of 2nd Timothy And it says the second epistle to Timothy Ordained the first bishop of the church Of the Ephesians It was written from Rome When Paul was brought before Nero The second time And I put that in there because I wanted you to see something And, and I needed to see this for myself We We all struggle We all go through it. Why why you gotta give me the business? We all feel that sometimes. I'm I'm struggling, Lord. I don't know what's going on. And I I think about the Apostle Paul and everything that he went through in his life. And and you really don't see it unless you're reading between the lines sometimes of Scripture into the life of the Apostle. You you don't see the struggle that these, these disciples went through. You don't see the, the, the passion that they had, and you don't see the fire that came against them because of that passion. You, you hear about it, I'm telling you, about Peter and Paul having this, this argument. I withstood him to his face, the Bible says. That, that, that's not um, nice words. That, that's a euphemism for how angry he was. I withstood him to his face. We basically had a yelling match about what kind of Christian do you want to be, Peter, that that you're doing all of this stuff. No, stop it. He rebuked him in love. You see this struggle that they had because they were trying to figure it all out. Paul was trying to figure it out. This is the second time, this, this comment says, the second time that Paul was put in front of Nero. Do you know what that means? It means he was put in jail. It means that he was taken out from a comfortable place, locked up, and then he was going to have to appear before Nero. And so what did he do to pass the time? He grumbled and complained. I'm just kidding. He wrote, he wrote letters to other Christians saying, hey, Timothy, you got this. Hey, Ephesians, you got this. Hey, Corinthians, fix your mess. But you got this. That's what he was saying to all these people. And where was he saying it? While he was in jail, I thank God, that I am not in jail right now, not because I've done something wrong or anything, but because look at, look at the life of Paul. He didn't do anything wrong except for preach the gospel, and that put him in jail. At one point, I can't remember if this is in Timothy or in Ephesians, but, but you'll read it. It's somewhere in there. Paul says, uh, I'm writing this to you, having escaped out of the mouth of a lion, I think the only person who can say that is A.J. in this room. I'm just kidding. A.J. and my lion. I fought a lion. I I was escaped from the mouth of a lion. What does that even mean? Does that mean that one day Paul was walking down the road? Sorry, Scott, I'm going to move. He's walking down the road and all of a sudden, does that sound like a lion? Not really, okay. He's walking down the road and all of a sudden he hears this growl and there's a lion there. I remember one time when I was little, we were walking home from Boy Scouts, which is three or four blocks away from my house, and Ghostbusters had just come out. You remember Ghostbusters when it came out in theaters? Ghostbusters had just come out, and so the song was playing constantly on the radio. I ain't afraid of no ghost, right? They played that song a lot, and so I was quoting that song. I was, my family was walking up, I was walking pretty far behind them, maybe about from me to Imani, because I was just slow walking, thinking. And I started singing, I ain't afraid of no ghosts," because it was dark outside, very dark. There was no lights, I mean, this was back in the, uh, in the uh, 80s. So no street lights or anything, poor neighborhood, walking down the road uh, on the street. I said, I ain't afraid of no ghost. And all of a sudden, this little yappy dog rawr, 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 starts running after me and I screamed so loud and I started running away from this little yappy dog only to recognize that it was behind a fence, wasn't gonna hurt me and everybody started laughing at me because apparently I ain't afraid of a ghost but I am afraid of a little dog. But I remember that, I remember running and being scared and to this day I still kind of fear like an animal coming in like squirrels, oh, I hate squirrels, they come and attack you. I remember that so vividly, I can't even imagine what Paul went through if this is how it happened where he's walking down the road and all of a sudden he hears a roar and there's a lion a lion the king of the jungle they don't even live in the jungle why are they called that anyway a lion out there about to attack him and the bible says that he says and and God delivered me from that it could have either been that or it could have been a, a situation where he was thrown to the lions and then he was saved you know like back in the Daniel times could have been that too. I don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. All it says is that he was saved from the lion, and and he felt it necessary to put it in there. Why did he put it in there? Because he's encouraging you, guys. There's lions out there, and they're absolutely coming after you. But here's your recipe. It's called the fivefold. Move forward. Listen to God. Read Scripture. Encourage yourself and pray. And then do the work of the evangelist and believe what you believe, walk your walk, and talk your talk. That's the formula. Father, I thank you for all that you have done through this church, out into the nations. I thank you for the many blessings, Lord. There are so many issues and problems represented in this house today healing, finances, mental health, all the things that we are going through, Lord. You know them and you see them, encourage us. We know you are with us, Lord. We know that that despite our problems, you are there for us. Despite all the issues we're going through, you are there for us. Lord, you didn't promise us eternal physical life. You promised us eternal life, life everlasting in a new form, in a new way. And Lord, we look forward to that. We look forward to that here on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to what you're doing through us, through this fivefold, through the ministries that you've established here in this house and in the network. Lord, we look forward to all the many great things that you have in store. We submit ourselves to you. We look forward to doing your work. We look forward to you using us in your work because we love you. We wanna see your kingdom expanded. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Have a great evening, and we will see you again next week. Bye.